This morning, I want to read a story of a woman named Mary Magdalene. We find this in John chapter 20. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read a few verses, verses 11 through 13. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? And they have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they have put him. And this is the word of the Lord. In many ways, you can argue that there was no greater love than Mary's love for Jesus. And yet Mary had to stand there on Good Friday and watch Jesus die. The scriptures tell us that she was there the whole week. She had followed him down from Galilee into Jerusalem, and she was there on Palm Sunday. She was there as he cleaned the temple. She was there throughout all these different activities of the week, and then she was there at the cross when Jesus' life ended. When all the disciples had scattered, she was there. And she was there when the men came and took his lifeless body off of the cross. She was there when they brought him to that garden tomb. She was there when Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of myrrh and the aloe And he prepared Jesus' body for its final resting place. Mary doubtless watched as the men ripped open the aloe and spread the gel all over Jesus' skin as they piled these 75 pounds of myrrh on, on top of Jesus and wrapped his body like a mummy. She was there and she was watching as her God was dead. She was there. And we read the Easter story and we know that Jesus rose. We know he ends up alive. We know that his death was only temporary, but, but Mary didn't know that. All she knew in that moment was that the man that she had devoted her life to, the man who had served her, the man who had cast seven demons out of her, the man who had done so much for her transformation, the man that she had followed and said, I want to be with him. He's my rabbi. He's my teacher. She saw him there laying in a grave, and then the stone covered it up, and they sealed it with him behind the wall. I don't know if you've ever been in a season in life where it felt like God wasn't there. You know, it felt like God was absent, distant. felt like God was dead even. Mary was there when he was. And what do you do in a moment like that? If you've ever experienced death before, what do you, what do, you do when someone you love has been taken from you? The scriptures tell us that Mary went home on Good Friday and she made perfume. Kind of like Clarissa's perfume bottle that we saw in the video, Mary probably had some sort of 
of jar that she used to carry these aromas and essential oils and spices that she made. On that Good Friday evening, she had just watched Jesus be buried and she grabbed some myrrh of her own and some frankincense probably and some aromatic spices and she crushed it up, covered it with oil, heated it and waited as it cooled. Her house filled with all of these aromatic smells. In a sense, it felt like she was starting to plan his memorial service and getting ready to bring flowers to his tomb on Easter Sunday. But, but for Mary, it wasn't flowers she was bringing. She was bringing the, these ointments that she could go in and, and rub on his body one last time to, to bring some more fragrance to a decomposing smell in that room, to bring a glimpse of light and life into a dark and sad place, maybe to get some closure or maybe because she didn't want to let go yet. She prepared spices to bring to her dead God, Jesus. Nightfall came and the Sabbath began. When no work is to be done on the Sabbath, even going to visit a tomb, never to go and see a dead body, and so Mary just waited. The women with her just rested. They held their spices. They kept their jars of perfume. They waited for Sunday morning. And finally, when the sun was close to rising on Easter Sunday, the women left the house and Mary led them to the garden tomb. Wanted to catch one last glimpse of Jesus before he was gone forever. I wonder what Mary's game plan was. Like she had seen the stone in front of the tomb. She had seen the soldiers in front of the stone, in front of the tomb. What did she think was going to happen when she got there with her oils? Was she just going to ask politely? Was she going to just move the stone herself? Was she going to bust her way through it? What was going through her mind as she was coming up to that tomb, knowing that it was locked and closed for good? In a moment of grief, if you've ever been in a place like this, you know, sometimes we're not thinking rationally. Maybe she wasn't. Maybe she thought, I'm just going to get there and I'm going to figure it out. I need to see him. I need to be with him. I need to touch him one last time. I need to feel his cold, dead skin on my hands. I need to do something to show my devotion to my Lord because I love him. And he's gone. The devotion that Mary had towards Jesus is breathtaking, beautiful, admirable, and yet, as we read this story, I'm reminded of two things. One, Jesus wasn't dead on Easter Sunday. Mary didn't know that yet. And so, two, in that moment that Mary thought she was being devoted to Jesus was actually Jesus' greatest act of devotion to her. Mary's devotion led her to the cross on Good Friday. Mary's devotion led her to the tomb that afternoon. Mary's devotion led her back to the tomb on Easter Sunday. But Jesus' devotion to Mary put himself on that cross. Jesus' devotion to his people is why he paid the sins of the world. Jesus' devotion to us and to Mary is why he went into that tomb in the first place. And Jesus' devotion to us is why he raised from the grave and conquered sin and death so that someone like Mary... And someone like us could rest in everlasting life. And Mary arrives at the tomb on Easter Sunday and she sees in the distance that it's open. 
And you would think at first that she'd probably be excited, right? Now she can go in there and and bring her oils to Jesus, her spices to Jesus. But I don't think she was excited to see the tomb open on Easter Sunday. You imagine you came home from vacation and your front door was wide open. You're going to be excited? Oh, someone unlocked it for me. (laughs) Mary's probably wondering who opened that tomb and where are the soldiers who were guarding it? Tomb robbery was a thing in the first century. People would go and plunder tombs. They'd find people who were buried with their valuables from this life and they'd take them. They'd take the gold. They'd take the expensive things, the pottery, and they'd steal them and leave the corpse with nothing around it. And, and most likely, Mary's running through her mind as she's getting close to the tomb. What would they have taken? Jesus didn't have any possessions. All he had was the tunic wrapped around him and the myrrh piled on top of him. There was nothing else in there. There were no bodies in there besides his. What would they have done? And so she's probably praying as she walks towards the opening of that tomb, God, the same thing you would pray if you walked into your house when the door was open after vacation. Let it look the same as it did when I left. Lord, let me just see Jesus in the corner, piled with rocks, wrapped in cloths, undisturbed. But when Mary walks into the tomb, she sees a sight beyond her worst nightmare. You know, the worst case scenario probably for Mary is that someone just tried to steal what they could that they would unwrap Jesus' body, that they'd gather up these expensive myrrhs and that they would take it all into the distance and she'd come and find Jesus lying lifeless on the ground, disturbed from his slumber, and she'd have to rebring dignity to her dead friend. But when she comes to the tomb, she finds that it's worse than that. The myrrh is there. The burial cloths are there. They're folded up where Jesus was, but he, he's gone. Who would steal a body? Who would desecrate a grave in that way and take the corpse and leave the valuables? She and the other women start to go back up towards the path and they run into the disciples and they exclaim to them, someone has taken the Lord and we don't know where they've put him. Mary comes back to the tomb. Standing in her darkest moment. I notice that sometimes God likes to meet us in our darkest moments. Have you noticed that? Sometimes God meets us on the mountaintop. He meets us at a retreat, or he meets us in the scriptures, or he meets us during worship, or he meets us in community. But a lot of times, God's most profound work in our lives happens when we are at rock bottom. I think of Clarissa from the video. She's trying to do her best to make a better life for her daughter and make sure her daughter doesn't end up like her and then she finds out that her daughter just wants to be like her. And in the crushing nature of that comment, Clarissa says something needs to change. Sometimes God meets us when we're a single mom. He meets us after he leaves. The man leaves us. He he meets us in the rock bottomness of our addiction. He meets us after our 
relative passes away. He meets us in our crisis. He, he meets us when our finances fall apart. He meets us when death is imminent. And for Mary, after she watches Jesus suffer and she watches Jesus die, and she watches Jesus be buried, and she watches his tomb be sealed, and she comes back to anoint him, and she realizes his body's been stolen, and she tells the disciples that the Lord is gone. That's when Jesus meets her. She comes into the tomb, and she sees these two angels sitting there, and she doesn't know who these men are, and she, she looks at them, and they say, why are you crying? And she tells the angels the same thing that she told the disciples, but she personalizes it. She says, they've, they've taken my Lord, and I don't know where they've put him. And in that moment, she hears a voice from behind her. And she turns around, and she thinks it's the gardener at first, but he says, Mary. Mary. And through her tears and through her grief and through her franticness, and she knows that voice. She's heard his voice before. She's heard that voice cast seven demons from her life before. She's heard that voice cry out, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do before. She's heard that voice say, this is your mother. This is your son. She's heard that voice cry out, it is finished. She's heard that voice cry out, into your hands I commit my spirit. And now she hears that voice cry out her name. Ravoni, teacher, is it you? I don't think there's any way that we would un ever be able to understand what Mary felt like in that moment. When the one who was dead is back. When the one who was gone has come when you learn that the one that you have devoted yourself to his service has devoted himself to serving you. And the moment when you think that no one has any greater love than you for him, you realize, no, there's no greater love than his love for me. He came back for me. And Mary embraces Jesus. She feels the warmth of his skin. She feels the breath in his chest, she can smell him. It doesn't smell like death. It doesn't smell like decomposition. He probably doesn't even smell like myrrh. He smells like Jesus. He's alive. And if this was a movie, this would be the moment that Jesus says, Mary, it's me, Jesus, a ghost. You've got to let go, Mary. Find a new rabbi to follow. There will be other teachers out there, right? That's not what he says. 
And Jesus tells the disciples, I'm not a ghost. Ghosts don't have flesh and blood like I have. Touch my side, touch my hands. It's me. I was dead. I was the one on the cross. Yes, I was covered in 75 pounds of rocks. Yes, I've emerged from the grave and it's real me and I'm back. He does not say I'm a ghost. But he does tell Mary to let go. He says, don't don't hold on to me. Because I'm only going to be here for a little while. Mary, I'm going back to the Father. And I'm going to prepare a place for you there. And then you're going to come and be with me. You know, we can empathize with Mary and her grief. But I don't think there's any way we can empathize with her in this moment. Unless we think of the moment when we first realized that God himself would put on flesh to dwell among us and die for us and raise for us and to give us life. And Jesus said, there's no greater love than this, that you lay down your life for your friends. And that's what he did for us. That's what he did for her. And she's just standing there wondering, what do I do with this perfume? <laughs> In the Old Testament, we hear a beautiful story of Esther who had myrrh oil and she, she put it on herself so that she would be in a suitable condition to meet the king. Maybe Mary can use her oils on herself. We read in the Old Testament of frankincense oil that is only supposed to be used on living kings to anoint them into office. Maybe she could have used it on Jesus as he ascended his throne into heaven. Chances are, I'm guessing, Mary just took the oil home (laughs) to use another day. Or maybe like Clarissa, to, to be a memory of what extravagant love Jesus has for us. That her acts of devotion are beautiful, but really not necessary. And because the God that she worships loves her relentlessly and has poured out his devotion on her. Now, this Easter, if you're in a place where you feel like Mary in grief, You feel like God is distant. You don't know where to turn in your spiritual life. You feel like he's not answering. You feel like he's quiet. You feel like you've served and served and served and got got nothing in return. Maybe you need to hear the words that Jesus himself told Mary. Don't hold on to me. You don't need to cling so hard. You don't need to prove yourself. You don't need to be devoted to me in that way. Let me be devoted to you. Let this not be a day where you prove your devotion to me by your good works. Let this be a day that you remember that I proved my devotion to you by laying my life down for you only to take it back up again. Maybe the message for you this Easter is to rest in what he already did. To let Jesus be your savior. And to learn what it means to live in relationship with one who is alive but is no longer here. One of the things we've been doing on Easter these last few years is receiving the communion meal together. 
And on one hand, communion kind of feels sad for an Easter Sunday because it feels like a memorial service. We hold this bread, we hold this cup, we remember that Jesus died. But the reason we love to do this on Easter is because the memorial that we have for Jesus is not our memory of a dead man. The memorial we have for Jesus is us together remembering the one who died and became alive again to bring life to us. The one whose death promises life to all who believe. The one whose body brings us life. The one whose blood was poured out to start a new covenant with us and God. And so as we eat this bread and drink this cup and remember the Lord's death, we cannot help but remember his resurrection as well. This morning, let me pray for us as we prepare to eat this communion meal. And then as we hold this cup and hold this bread, let us remember the beauty of the devotion of Jesus poured out for his people on that holy weekend 2,000 years ago. Let's pray together.